Hello, this is Jesse Liberty, and this is yet another podcast. Today, I am once again blasted to have John Galloway. John is a PM in the .NET community team. He's a friend of at least a dozen years. He's been on yet another podcast. In fact, he was on the very first show of yet another podcast. And I traditionally ask him, John, how are you? <laughs> great as always. Really always so happy to talk to you, Jesse. Okay, great. We have a lot to talk about. You've been doing a whole lot of interesting stuff. Last I looked, you were talking about VS Mac, but apparently you're doing a bunch of other stuff. Um, so I want to talk to you about that. But before we get started on the specifics, just before the, 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 the show started, I said to you that a phenomenon that I have experienced not only at Microsoft, but with lots of tech companies is, oh yeah, last year's stuff was no good, but here's the good stuff. And then a year later, oh yeah, that was no good, but here's the good stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so you talk a little bit about the evolution of technology, short-term evolution of technology. Yeah, well, I, th I think that's really interesting because I think a lot of that comes from the way we hear and talk about technology and with marketing and then also with social media, there's a lot of hype around the new, big, exciting thing. And a lot of time we forget the context. So over this past year, I've been involved with this military mentoring group with Microsoft, where we're talking to people that are moving from the military and starting new tech careers. And it's it's making me kind of rethink a lot of the basics and things I take for granted and talking to them about why things exist and, you know, why, why people are looking at, you know, like, for instance, uh, when they're talking about web technologies, they're like, well, so do I learn React first or do I learn this or do I learn that? And, you know, like some of it's old timer syndrome for me, but I'm kind of like, why not start with HTML and CSS and, you know, JavaScripts and backend technologies, layer in the single page app stuff when you need it, but don't start with that, you know? So, but on the other hand, we don't write, like, I don't think it's fair to write off one front end web technology when the next one comes along it's better to think about each of them as a tool to solve a problem. So part of this, we were talking uh, before about the context of like ASP.NET and in the latest release with .NET 6, they introduced this minimal API thing. And the idea there is it's based on a real, you know, a real need, I think, in that when you look at other programming languages, Python or, or you know, even like Node, you, you can spin up an API in, you know, 10, 15, 20 lines of code. And with ASP.NET, you've got a program CS and a startup and you've got middleware and you've got, you know, 30 lines of usings at the top and you've got namespaces and you've got all this kind of noise and it all serves a purpose and it's useful when you need it, but you don't need it in a lot of applications. Getting started and then also microservices where you've got tons of these tiny little microservices, some of those you've got more noise code than you've got actual logic. So as a result, of that, they came up with minimal APIs. Now, going back to what you're talking about, the, the old stuff's trash, the new stuff's good. Here's the problem. All the marketing, all the um, you know social media, all the buzz in the press is like, here's this new thing, right? And so then the unspoken message is the old stuff's bad, the new stuff's good. And that's not really true either. I'm going through
through and working on some documentation and things recently. And I'm looking at it. I'm like, this is not a good fit for a minimal API. You know, I'm building something that's got multiple endpoints and it's structured in a way that I don't want to use a minimal API. It's not minimal, you know? <laughs> and so um, so a lot of the time it's useful to think about what, what the tools will, were built for, what problem they solve. Sometimes the historical context, you know, uh, we've seen this over the course of our careers, you know, like I, I'm thinking about like client technologies too. They, they all serve a, a purpose. Um, they all target a specific, uh, you know, solving a type of problem, targeting different types of, you know, how the, your users are going to interact with it. Sometimes, you know, especially with clients targeting different, uh, different client devices or, you know, UI frameworks or things. So I'm really interested in your career transition training because when I was learning to program, life was much simpler. There was the uh, 8080 or the 8086. So the chip was simple. The amount of memory was small. Uh, I started programming in assembly and then C, and there was a containable amount of information. You, you could There was a manageable block of information that you could master if you put your mind to it in a, in a month or two, maybe three. Mm -hmm. Now, if you look at the expanse of, of technology and programming, it, it seems to me that you you have to specialize right away and that there's an, even in that there's an awful lot to learn so how do you take people who are not programmers and transition them and how long does it take before they can be productive and on a team hmm. yeah that's that is super interesting um i started programming professionally i'd played with computers before but i start my first professional job was right at the beginning of when web technology was kind of coming out so i was in vb doing desktop apps and then i was doing asp.net apps and i'm learning html and, and browsers and things were evolving pretty quick. So I kind of never had this expectation of it was a salt, it was a contained thing. You know what I mean? And I, I especially like playing around with web development, doing professional web development when it was first like we've got Netscape and IE and all this, and you know, like uh, new standards are coming out all the time. I, I feel like we're kind of that's the new reality now is that with with programming it's things are continually moving. I think with that too is not expecting yourself to master anything ever. <laughs> you know, it's right. always continually moving and anyone that like very few of the people that act like they know everything know everything. You know, they they know how to Google it. They know who to ask. They've got some old source code. They've got their, you know, they've seen it before on Stack Overflow. But I think it's actually counterproductive in a lot of cases to try and master something <laughs> anymore. Right. It's more about right. familiarity, knowing knowing more about like which what tools fit where or where to find information now. Um, yeah, although that's a very web development uh, perspective it because is. web development has been changing so rapidly and then spas came in and then different frameworks came in. If you're mm -hmm. off in the corner, like I am with, with, uh, Xamarin forms, the pace of change has been slower. Now we're about to have a radical shift. I'm not sure how radical with Maui. Um, but, but certainly it's being presented as a radical shift, which brings me around to asking you about VS Mac. Cause the last time we talked, we talked a lot about Visual Studio Mac. And do you know where VS Mac stands with uh, Maui development? Yeah. So, um, you know, like part of my work with the .NET community team is I'm I'm like working kind of wherever things are 
happening, changing wherever, you know. And so um, what's been happening with VS Mac over the past year is they kind of step back. Originally, it was built off of Xamarin Studio, and it was a cross-platform thing that worked on Windows, Mac, and Linux. And it was built on, uh, I think, G GTK Sharp and some other kind of cross-platform things. And it's a complete engineering mar marvel that it works. And it's also complicated to get something that's yeah. going to work across all these platforms. And so um, there were areas where it couldn't, it didn't work as well as it could on Mac, didn't take advantage of the updated Mac, you know, like accessibility and and just it, it didn't feel native Mac. Um, and then also there were some like kind of random crashes that you would get because of how GTK Sharp does threading and some other things. And so they looked at it and they said, really, we kind of need to replatform this on native code. Like just built it, build it so it's a native Mac only application, and uh, and then also as part of that, rearchitect it so that it's actually running with not not like where possible, make it run actually on .NET Core, and then it can share code with Visual Studio for Windows um, for where that fits. And so it's kind of an interesting. In some ways, they made it more Mac specific, in other ways, they made it more .NET specific. But it's it's kind of the way you would design it today. Um, right. Although historically, Visual Studio Mac has lagged behind Visual Studio Windows. Mm -hmm. So you'll get a feature on Windows and then somewhere between six months and a year later, you'll get it on the Mac. Now, it seems yeah. like that's shrinking. Um, do, you, do you think that'll continue to shrink? Yeah. And that's actually part of this effort is to make it so that because part of that leg was, okay, there's, you know, huge team working on Windows. There's all this, you know, a lot of it is over the years been replatformed and built on modern technologies and it's relatively easy to build. And then with VS for Mac, it's more work, you know, and it's more testing and it's things that were written for Windows. You can't reuse the code. You have to retest. You have to figure out, oh, well, on Mac, we can't use this thing. We need to do it this other way. Or, we you know, we've got, we need voiceover support. So we need to do this or, you know, whatever it is. And and so, um, so really the, the focus is on making it a united, you know, more like the ship at the same time, the features come out at the same time. So, so that'll be nice. Yeah, exactly. And, and being able to take advantage of the, the new stuff, you know, like, um, there's constantly in .NET Core, there's, there's, you know, amazing performance improvements and there's, there's, you know, new APIs and things that, that make writing code better. So we want to be able to take advantage of those with VS Mac as well, um, so, so really over the past year, there have been some new features, but a lot of the work has been in this kind of replatforming thing. And um, so you asked about Maui and so the, the, the general, and, you know, things kind of shift over time. I, I do my best to keep up like everyone does. Um, but the, the kind of original launch, the, the GA is expected, um, you know, this like very soon for Maui. Um, and then after, after Maui ships, then they're, they're focusing, that's around the time when VS uh, Mac 2022 GA is as well. And so then they're going to focus on, on those, on uh, building like Premiere or whatever, you know, first class Maui support for VS Mac. So it's super high priority. Um, the, the goal is that they're going to give more guidance about it, you know, this, this quarter, like we've got MVP Summit, we've got other, you know, the Maui release coming out. And so along with that, we're expecting like some more kind of firm um, 
dates on that. And in general, the kind of build, deploy, debug stuff works in, with VS Mac 2022. And the things that don't have the, you know, like testing and, and um, you know, haven't been focused on this is things like XAML hot reload, live visual tree. Um, some of those kind of more like visual and, and uh, designer interaction. And partly because they've been doing this work on this UI rewrite stuff. So one of the questions that I get and I also personally have is I'm working on a large project with actually it's a large solution with multiple projects mm -hmm. and 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 you know hundreds or maybe thousands of classes and it's using uh, .NET framework not core and it's using Visual um, sorry it's using C sharp seven and we'd like to get over to .NET Core six. What are we calling mm -hmm. it now? So it's it's complicated. It's .NET six. As of .NET five, we've kind of dropped from the from the .NET name. We've dropped the word core. Okay. Um, and partly but that they kept it in ASP. So and and that's where the it's complicated part comes in. There's a few places where there's already been version names. There was an ASP.NET five that we talked about earlier on mm -hmm. um, because that was kind of original when they were still kind of working on oh what are we going to call this .NET core thing. So there's also namespaces. And, you know, there's a lot of like, so if we dropped core from ASP.NET, there's a lot of like things where they looked at it and they're like, you know what, it's just better at this point to keep. So core is part of ASP.NET and a few other things like I think EF core we still talk about, but .NET itself, we just talk about .NET 5, .NET 6. Okay, so if we want to get to .NET 6, which is out, yes, mm -hmm. it went to GA, yep, and, and, and C Sharp 10 went with it, yep. we're terrified of doing that because we've got a lot of code and we've got a fair amount of uh, custom controls. Mm -hmm. does, does Microsoft have a path or uh, information or, please God, automation for, <laughs> for, <laughs> for making that transition? And is that something I want to do on the Mac or just strictly on Windows? So a lot of questions there. It's uh hey. Yeah, so it definitely is something that we're encouraging people to do. Um, it depends on the workload you're doing. Workload meaning, you know, is it Xamarin? Is it WPF? Is it WinForms? Is it ASP.NET, et cetera? So some of the guidance changes depending on those. Um, there is a thing called an upgrade assistant, which does automate updating code bases. Um, right now, the main things it focuses on is ASP.NET, WPF, and WinForms. Mm -hmm. um, but it'll go through and it'll actually analyze a project, it'll say, okay, first I need to convert this to CS Proj. I need to convert this, you know, like I need, to, uh, so there's kind of steps that it'll do along the way and it'll get you a lot of the way there. It doesn't do everything, but it does automate quite a bit. Yeah, I'm wondering if uh, if they're going to hold off on that for Xamarin Forms and do the transition for Xamarin Forms to Maui at the same time they're transitioning you from framework to six. I don't know the specific thing there, but I would expect that makes sense. And I think what I have seen in general for a lot of things is this, the steps I kind of seen work and that I recommend to people is to modernize your app where you can. So instead of like, wait and, and make a huge jump from older .NET framework to, you know, super new stuff. Where where it's relatively easy, there's things like modernizing your project file. Um, uh, I forget this specific name, what we call that, but the, the old project file, the old style project file where it lists every single included file 
and all that sort of stuff. You can you can modernize an application to .NET 6 without, you know, making the huge complete leap. Um, for instance, like uh, WPF and WinForms applications can run on .NET 6 now. Um, and so for somebody looking at modernizing one of those applications, or say an ASP.NET MVC 4 application, right? That's something where, first of all, you can modernize that to run on .NET 6 and then uh, kind of take steps to to use the new thing. So there, there's kind of two steps in modernizing. One is just get it to run on the framework. And then two is take advantage of the new features. Right. And so, um, so for instance, like getting something to run on ASP.NET, you don't necessarily need to, you know, there's a lot of kind of like legacy support things that I would make it work with first. Um, it's So a lot of the, the recommendations are, are um, feature specific too. Like for instance, if you've got a web forms application, um, first kind of modernizing things. So getting your code out of your uh, events and your code behind and move that into service classes, use model binding, which was in web forms for a long time, uh, a lot of kind of like clean up your code first, and then it modernizes a lot more easily. And I assume somewhere, if I went spelunking in the Microsoft documentation, there's information on how to do these things. There is. So we actually did a uh, an event at the end of January on modernizing applications. I'll get you the links for this. But we did a two-hour event where we went through MVC, WebForms, and WPF, because those are some of the main things that we see people needing to modernize. And we showed using op- upgraded assistant. There is a Microsoft Learn tutorial or a path for an ASP.NET application. And then there's a tutorial for WPF WinForms and um, an ASP.NET. So the tutorial takes you through an example. And it's a relatively simple example. Here's an application and it does, the the desktop apps do have some custom controls and things like that. And it's kind of like, uh, it takes you through the steps and the guidance of what to do. Do you think any of that's applicable to Xamarin Forms? I know I obsess on Xamarin. (laughs) No, it's really, uh, I don't know, honestly. Um, I do know that... um, Let me get you some links on that. Okay, fair enough. Now, you're you're doing... I was going to ask you about your live shows, and let's talk about your live shows. But before we do... We got off on a tangent from my question way back about uh, learning, changing careers, mm-hmm. and learning, and how long it takes to become productive. And and you're you're involved with doing that, right? With with helping people make that transition. Yeah. So if I come in and I have, and I'm not a programmer, but but I really want to be a commercial programmer. And and probably if I'm not a programmer, I want to be a web programmer. I'm guessing that that's where a lot of the juice is. Yeah. Or am I wrong about that? Well, I I mean I'm biased, but I do see a lot of that. That that's a, a pretty easy. That is a common area to jump in. That's requires a little less. Uh, it, it's more flexible. You can jump around quite a bit as a web developer. So what kind of time are we looking at? If I if I were uh, to come to you and say, look, I, I, I've not done any programming since high school, and even then I didn't really understand it, but I want to become a programmer. Is it going to take me three months, six months, two years? What, what kind of time are we talking about? To, to, and let me define what I want, just to be a junior member or a starting member on a team. Yeah. Okay. So we went through a program. It was a military mentorship program. We went through, and I believe it was six months. And at the end of it, several people on our team got jobs at Microsoft, uh, junior programming jobs. And they were people that had no programming experience beforehand. That is and great. It, yeah. And it was a, it was a, 
you know, relatively intense program, um, but it was um, it was focused on, you know, directly applicable things. I will say it's it's definitely a daunting task. It's also a thing where there's a lot of information available for free. There's a lot of, uh, you know, with things like free code camp and, um, you know, Coursera and a lot of other programs out there. Um, and we're definitely working on that too with Microsoft Learn, trying to provide free, um, hands-on content. You know that's that's applicable to real skills. So there's also LinkedIn Learning. Um, so LinkedIn Learning is a lot of it is paid. Um, the .NET content I believe we made available for free actually. Um, but the um, uh, Microsoft Learn is kind of separate. It is it is linked off of from Microsoft Docs. Mm -hmm. um, but they're they're generally kind of half hour, forty five minute uh, courses, and the the flow of them they feel kind of more similar to something like Khan Academy or something. Um, so it'll teach a topic. It'll give a um, short little quiz on what you learned. It'll have an exercise where you actually write some code, and then it'll teach a little bit more. Um, they're very kind of focused, and the, the idea is something you can get through in half an hour. So like I wrote one about ASP.NET Razor Pages and the ideas in a half hour, 45 minutes, you write a form where you submit data, it saves the data, it displays it in the page, it does basic validation. So yeah, those sound very valuable. I'll have to go spend six or eight months in there. <laughs> well, the idea too, you know, I, I feel like it's, it's tricky, like w w the question of what does it take to be productive uh, on a team? And that's something I've been thinking about with the whole like microservices thing. When I started ramping up on microservices, I wanted to um, give some talks about it. I wanted to learn about it. And an interesting goal of microservices is not just about code or even IT, it's about teams. And so uh, I, I saw this fascinating talk by Brendan Burns, uh, one of the um, inventors of Kubernetes and and what they were what he was talking about is ideal team size is a, is a pizza sized team meaning a team where they can get a pizza and it'll feed the whole team you know and so when when you think about being productive on a team it's a lot easier to be productive on a team of say five people with a, and and they're working on something that their job is scoped the the product they work on is scoped to something four or five people can work on so if I've got a team and I do I work on a, a small team with like five people and and there are things where, hey, we're organizing an event at the end of the month, you know, and I can talk to my new teammate and say, hey, can you take care of this thing? We need, it needs to be scheduled. We need to, here's the three people to communicate with. Here's, you know, where it needs, here's the system it needs to be like organized in and set up. And, and so that's something where a new person on a team of five, six, up to 10 people maybe can have an impact, uh, can, can learn about all that sort of stuff, right? And when a team grows and it's 30 people or it's, you know, it's, it's a lot lot of people, a new person on that team, it's kind of scary to get involved. And it's a very, it's probably a very complex code base and it's a lot of, of stuff, right? right? So so part of the idea with microservices is scoping things down to a small deployable product that just a few people can work on. So I think of that in terms of as a new developer, if you can get involved in something that it's like a, a smaller problem, or when I started with web development, I was doing maintenance. I was working on financial applications and I was doing and maintenance and it was scary, but it was, I was focused on some very small, you know, solve this mm -hmm. little problem. People can't log in from this, you know, this one vendor, you know, let's figure that out, you know? So. Yeah, um, no, I, I, I totally agree. It just, it, it seems so daunting now with, 
you know, even figuring out what uh, what area to focus on. But that, I, I think that's why the kind of program you're describing can be so valuable because mm-hmm. then, then it's guided and, and you can find out what people are interested in and then target their learning rather than abandoning them in a sea of documentation. Yeah. Which, by the way, Microsoft documentation has gotten infinitely better over the past year. I had Bill Wagner on and, and I said it to him and I'll say it to you that um, it's it's much, I find that I'm going to the Microsoft documentation more than I'm going to Stack Overflow. And that is amazing to me. (laughs) There's a lot of work that goes into it and there's continual reevaluation of it. Like we're on my team, we'll look at, well, we've been doing this thing over the past year where we take a theme. Um, So I, I mentioned modernization. So in January, we focused on modernization and it's not like a thing we advertise and market. It's something we do kind of internally where we'll take something and we'll just Google it. We'll say .NET update WPF.NET 6. And we'll find out where do you land? You know, in a lot of cases, it's it's maybe blogs or YouTube that, that community did because we're not doing our job and creating that content, right? And then we say like, oh, I found this doc, but it's it's an API doc that's not helpful at all. You know, and for instance, in, in when we looked at modernizing applications, a lot of the things we landed on were saying like, well, here's all the things you can't do in .NET 6 that you could do in .NET framework. And like, number one, that scares me off of updating. Number two, a lot of those things were now out of date. And thirdly, it wasn't guidance. It didn't tell me how to do it, you know? So then we focus on like, what problems are, are we actually trying to solve? So a lot of this is continually looking at, you know, like what are people trying to do, try, dog fooding it ourselves, trying to find the docs and go through and then aggressively like keep rewriting and, and fixing those docs. So tell me about live show, because uh, clearly that's an, would you say it's an augment to to the uh, to the documentation, or is it stand on its own, or how should I think about it? Yeah, I think it kind of stands on its own. So we've had so you know going back years, we had like Channel Nine, Big Studio, um, and kind of a bit of a marketing focus to it. Right, we're showing off things in a fancy studio, um, and you know people are giving these fancy demos and presentations that are like you know pretty polished, and and um, so that's good, and then. And we also have had some like kind of more informal things going way back. We had this ASP.NET community stand up, which was as, as the team was just starting to think about .NET Core. And those were on YouTube. Hansel, it was on Scott Hanselman's YouTube for a while. And we would just do like a, a Google Hangout or whatever it was. And it would go out on YouTube. And it was the team saying like, hey, what do you think about this? I just wrote it on my laptop. Oops, it crashed. Well, here's what you should have seen. It, you know, it was like <laughs> a lot more informal. And then over time, we started getting better at that and uh, we started learning how to actually like use the technology and right they actually gave us a small little room in channel 9 where we could record from and it had OBS set up and it had some nice some nicer gear and right then COVID hit and then nobody could travel there anymore and we were all kind of stuck in our houses and uh, James and I had worked on James Montemegno and I had worked on this thing where we could kind of expand it out multiple teams could work with the same kind of community stand-up feel. And so we kind of stepped back and James and I like experimented with a bunch of different platforms and we found uh, we're using one called StreamYard and StreamYard is browser-based similar to like Zencaster, which we're recording in now. And uh, it allows streaming out to Twitch and YouTube. And uh, we do, for some, we do also Facebook and Twitter. Um, and so, uh, so we've kind of figured out how to do these live shows. And so as part of that, 
we built a part on the .NET website. It's at live.net. So it's live period dot period net. And we've got several different shows going on now. And we've just kind of like shared, here's how to do it. We kind of came out with like, here's the, the playlist of how to create a live show. Um, but those live shows, you asked if they're kind of the same as docs and, and going back to kind of how things like where things came from. So a lot of the kind of community stand-up feel, we still try to preserve with this, where we we talk to the, the you know, we it's a live show. We're taking live questions. We're sh- a lot of time, I'm encouraging people to show demos that might break. Like, really show us, what are you thinking? You know, where, where do you, what are you playing with? Show us before it's a, you know, solid product, because we want to be able to, if, if the community is like, you know, this is great, but if, if you don't have support for, you know, more than one CSS framework, or if, if you aren't able to do um, upgrade from my previous app or whatever it is, I can't use it. That's gold, you know, and that's actually mm-hmm. useful if you show it early enough. So the community stand-ups, we have a format where at the beginning of the show, we take 10 minutes or, show, or so and show off community posts. And, and you know, occasionally there'll, there'll be some, I mean, we, we do include, here's a Microsoft, you know, blog post on this thing. You really need to read this. But but we spend some time coming up with, here's, here's this neat open source project that this, you know, someone in the community is building. And, you know, so really trying to um, surface those and then we'll have some, you know, a few PMs or, or engineers on and they'll just say like, here's what we're working on, you know, and, and uh, here's where we think we're going and, you know, had a question in the chat about this and that's a great idea. And, you know, so for instance, we had a community stand up in January or early February about the Blazor 7 roadmap and the .NET 7 um Sorry, the Blazor roadmap for .NET 7. <laughs> and Dan Roth was on and, you know, shut off a bunch of stuff and got, you know, very active chat. A lot of people saying, I love this. What's going on with this? You know, so um, Dan was like, he actually, he's like, I, I need those chat logs. And so we got them to him and we figured out how to automate it. So after every show, the speaker gets all the chat logs. Um, but he actually went through, put them all in an Excel spreadsheet, categorized them, sent them off to, you know, like got the engineering team involved, said, hey, a lot of focus on, say, authentication. How, you know, what's our plan here? So there's a lot. It's a two-way conversation is my point, you know. Um, and then docs is what we hope with docs is it's a little more like, here's how to do this thing. Like it's a more of a you know for shipping software here's here's bull and and docs does a few things one is it's a reference so for some documentation it's here's the five things you can do here here's the, you know what you should expect when you run this function but uh, there's also prescriptive guidance there's the you know okay you need authentication in your application here's the three different ways you can authenticate here's how to choose which one here's the the sorts of things to think through from security and performance perspective that sort of stuff um, and and uh, to be honest there that's one of the areas where we re- really are trying to focus on and do better with we feel Feel like we've got a lot of 101 stuff kind of nailed like hello world we'll show you how to write hello world and just about anything and and we really do try and polish that and i think we've got that down okay um we also have the very specific oh you got error 48793 okay here's you know here's the here's what caused that and here's the three steps to resolve so we have the you know like you're off in the weeds guidance down what we don't have is the okay you've learned the basics now you want to write an app or you want to so, you know, you want to choose something. Here's how to do that. And, and we're kind of sketchy there. Sometimes we're good and sometimes we're not. So that's something we're trying to think about more over this year is how, 
how to write that. Okay, you've gotten started. Now you're doing some, you know, solving some kind of basic problems. You need to log into an app. That shouldn't be hard. So we're working on that. And you mentioned a monthly theme. Is that with respect to the live show or is that something different? That's an internal thing that I run at Microsoft. And, and um, it is something that bubbles out into the live shows. So for instance, uh, during... Oh, what's an example? Um, with the, the modernization thing that we had in January, we said, hey, we haven't had a community stand-up focusing on modernizing an ASP.NET app. So I run the ASP.NET community stand-up and I got Mike Russos on, who's an expert on this. He actually does this for enterprise customers. Like he works at Microsoft and they send him to work with, you know, big companies that are, need to modernize their ASP.NET apps and a lot of other .NET apps. And so he just got on the show and he showed off what he did, what he does, you know, and he, he modernized, he updated an MVC three app or something to, or MVC four app to .NET six. And then he also talked about and took live questions from people who, are, you know, were like, Hey, I've got to modernize an app. What do I do here? So, so it, it does spill out into things like, uh, like that. Another example is blog posts. So, uh, in, February, we looked at Git and GitHub and we said, hey, we could use some better guidance on GitHub actions uh, for .NET projects. So uh, I worked with David Pine on that. He wrote two incredible blog posts. Uh, the first was kind of the basics, what you need to know just to start using GitHub actions. And the second one was how to use, how to write your own GitHub actions in .NET. And is there, a, is there guidance as well on when and why to use GitHub versus uh, DevOps, Azure DevOps? What I tend to think of is it, it depends where you're working. Um, if, you're in, if you're in GitHub, if your code's in GitHub, I'd recommend, you know, where possible, use GitHub Actions um, and, and use, you know, do your DevOps in GitHub. As an example, well, but, but so I was going to say the .NET website, for instance, it, the code is in GitHub. It's in a private repo in GitHub. And most of that is using GitHub Actions. We do have some Azure pipelines uh, for doing the build, but in general, a lot of, I, I would kind of focus for the most part, if you can do it in GitHub, I would, I would work there. Okay. Yeah. Can you say, one, give me two sentences on GitHub Actions so that we're not just leaving that hanging. Oh my gosh, that's going to be really hard. I love GitHub Actions. Um, they're, I was scared off of, from them for a while because they're they're written in YAML. The code for them is actually in YAML. Yes. Uh, but what they are is just very simple things that happen. Uh, it's like if this and that for GitHub. So for example, when you commit code, let's say we want to build the code and we want to run a linter, you know, like check just for basic syntax and like, and things like that. Um, so you can basically, without writing that YAML, you can click around in GitHub. You can click on actions. You, it'll show you recommended ones for the project and you can just say enable and it'll dump that YAML right into your project. Slick. Yeah. And so I'll tell you how my first GitHub action that I wrote was a, a JSON linter. And the reason is on the .NET website, it pulls data from these different sources. And one was upcoming events. And I, I that's one of my jobs is I'll go in every month and update some of those events on that on that JSON file. And I would do it, you know, end of the day, on the weekend, whatever. Oh, shoot, I didn't update this thing. Or, okay, we need to do this thing. And I would write invalid JSON. I'd leave a comma off or I'd put in like miss a quote or something. And the problem was that actually broke the page because it would try and load this JSON file and it was malformed JSON and it wouldn't work. And then I was an idiot. And then the, the team would be like, hey, can you, you know, check this first? And of course, like I, 
it's best if I can run it locally, but if I'm doing an emergency fix, something's misspelled, I want to be able to edit that JSON file. And so I was just like, went and I found there's a thing called Superlinter and it's published by GitHub and it, it lints all kinds of different things, meaning it'll check for like syntax, but it'll also check with .NET projects for things like formatting and, and different, you know, like uh, all kinds of, it, and it lints basically any kind of programming language out there. Um, if you, you know, XML or whatever, it'll check that it's valid XML and stuff like that. So you can go into a GitHub project right now. You can click on actions. You can click on, you type in the word super linter. It'll say, you know, it'll, it'll pop up as one of the options. And then you can just say, yeah, you know, basically like commit. And now you've got that going. And now every commit that you make to that, uh, to that repository, it will run the linter. Um, and the, the final thing I I'm super into GitHub actions. I've actually like got some conferences coming up where I'm going to talk just about GitHub actions. But, um, uh, one other neat thing with that is they interview or they interoperate with the pull request checks. So what that means is, is if I now commit some bad JSON, then my pull request will actually have a red X next to it and it won't allow merging until that's fixed. Um, so your pull your pull request can interoperate with GitHub Actions. Um, and one final neat thing is uh, like David Pine wrote in his blog post, he wrote something that, that um, takes advantage of a new feature in GitHub, uh, which is support for diagrams in a syntax called Mermaid. And Mermaid is a Markdown-based diagram language. So you can write a simple thing and, it, and it'll, it'll describe a diagram and then GitHub will render that as SVG directly in the browser. So David wrote a GitHub action that will, when source code is committed, it'll actually create a class diagram and like put it in the repo. So in your docs, you have up-to-date class diagrams and it's automatically always updated because every single commit, it reruns this thing and generates those diagrams. So. I, I can't even get my head around that, <laughs> but I want to learn more. Two things. One is I need a dozen links from you because we talked about a whole bunch yeah, of I stuff. <laughs> and we'll put that on the on the on the show notes. And the other is I do not understand how you get all of this done. You must be awake 18 hours a day working on this. Because <laughs> that was a, that was quite a, a set of things that you're involved with. Well, it's, you know, it's it's a blessing and a curse of the team that I'm in because we jump around in a lot of different things. And a lot of things I'll learn about, I'll think this is amazing. I would love to write a program in it, but I just got called over here and I'm running over there right. now. Right. So, yeah, so that's part of why, like, I'll try and with this theme, I get an excuse to go a little deeper. And then also I've got some actual conference talks coming up now and I'm excited about actually writing full presentations on some of these things. Are those going to be live? Or, or remote? Um, they're remote for the most part. I'm, I am speaking at some user groups coming up, but the main, so I'm, as of now, I'm scheduled for, um, for uh, DevSum in Sweden and also for Tecarama in Belgium. So Careful. Fingers crossed. Stay crying. healthy. Stay safe. <laughs> yep. yep. I, I really cannot thank you enough for doing this. And, and, and the truth is you're into enough stuff that I'd like to go deeper into some of it. So maybe we can uh, steal some more of your time soon and go a little deeper into some of the things we talked about. Absolutely. You know where to find me. Okay. <laughs> Thanks so much.